You're listening to Deeply Curious, a podcast about our ever-evolving philosophy of life and faith and the curious pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. In this episode, we are talking about good versus evil, or my case against malicious intent. Uh, My name is Cody Jensen, and joining me as always, is the reason I can never be the smartest person in the room, my <laughs> wife, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> Deeply curious and all the art that we create is made possible by you and the members of the Jensen AV Club. This week's show is produced by Christian B. Schmidt, Joel Kai Linz, Greg and Christy Jensen, and Jeff Stevens. If you'd like to be a featured producer of Deeply Curious and gain deeper access and exclusive content, check out our Patreon by going to jensenav.com club link is in the show notes or again that's jensenav.club so the first thing we are going to start with is things we learned this week Mm, did you learn anything particularly interesting this week no (laughs) i think you probably did probably i read like four books but i can't think of anything Uh, I read, I, I definitely learned some things. Uh, one very boring thing is I learned that a combine tractor mm-hmm. is called a combine because it combines uh, multiple processes that used to take multiple machines or multiple people to fulfill that process. And so it is a uh, combination machine, i.e. a combine. Yes. I've grew up my whole life hearing people say, combine never knew (laughs) that it actually meant something (laughs) the more you know yep but a more interesting topic than uh combine tractors is i watched the movie inception again uh, this last week and not only is it just a fantastic movie Mm -hmm. um it started i was starting to think about um dreams but then i started watching all the behind the scenes stuff because i own the movie so i have all the uh you know basically the DVD behind mm-hmm. the scenes things. And one of them is a documentary that doesn't really have anything to do with the movie per se. It's more so the dream science behind the heart of the story. And it's like a 40 minute uh, podcast basically um, yeah. about dream states and just different levels of consciousness. Um, but there is this quote that really, struck me and basically it isn't necessarily what i learned this week as much as here's something that sparked my interest Mm -hmm. Um, and the quote is a dream is real while it lasts can we say more of life yeah and it's very interesting to think about that the dream state of which we live um in our sleeping Uh, consciousness is a perception of reality Mm -hmm. Um, or it it is a consciousness because you are experiencing things you are completely creating an entire world inside your head your mind is simultaneously creating a world in in which it is perceiving it Mm -hmm. is doing the creating and the perceiving at the same time but you are perceiving a world and in perceiving that world, you feel real emotions, real danger, um, real thrill. Um, everything seems real. You don't, most of the time, you do not realize that you are dreaming when you are dreaming. And it is, uh, if you have a very 
um, if you wake up at the right time, you can wake up with this strong sense of bafflement of, mm -hmm. I cannot believe I was just dreaming. That was so real. Um, and we do that every night. Um, but typically we just wake up and forget that th those things happened, but we live within this altered, um, perception of, of, of these conscious worlds and just thinking about that. And then thinking about this quote of a dream is real while it lasts. Can we say more of life and how we don't create our, our waking world per mm -hmm. se, but we do perceive our waking world. Right. And our perception of the waking world, um, isn't necessarily the reality mm -hmm. because it is our perception of that world. So you and I are sitting here at this table and we're perceiving that we're sitting here at this table and we're perceiving the room that we are in, but it is still our brains that are making up everything that we are seeing. Right. And we don't actually know whether or not we are perceiving this world exactly the same. We agree that we perceive it generally the same, that we are at a table, we're sitting in chairs, mm -hmm. gravity exists, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like we have these kind of uh, things that we're, we're agreeing on, but then there are times that kind of break the internet whenever people perceive colors differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're like, no, it's blue. Like, no, it's gray. Um, but then I just thinking about the deeper consciousness of our brain and the, the power of dreaming. And then just thinking about dreaming in a way of that is not just trivial. Dreaming? Yeah. yeah. That the world in which we live in, in our dream, is potentially as like important mm -hmm. to our life, to our experience of the human existence, as is the waking reality of which we're listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I believe that dreams are important, even if they're just your subconscious um, getting rid of, you know, filtering through things that happened throughout the day or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I think dreams matter. Yeah, one thing that was really interesting about uh, the little documentary that they talked about was how a, a lot of times in dreams, we are in danger. Maybe not a lot of times, but we all have had experiences of in our dreams, we are in danger. Right. And that is a like basically a universal truth amongst all humans that we have these dreams of being in danger. And the uh, maybe theory of this is that we are practicing mm -hmm. in our dream for things that could happen in real life, regardless if it is, you know, the, the thing that you dreamed maybe could not right. actually happen because it was surreal. But the act of what happened could be a practice for if something was to happen, let's if a saber tooth tiger was to try to attack you, if you have rehearsed that in your dream, you're actually going to be able to react better in your waking reality. Mm -hmm. um, if you had practiced it in your dreaming it's reality. It's kind of like muscle memory. Right. I used to have a recurring dream of getting shot when I was like in high school. So <laughs> the, the there's pleasant, that, there's that <laughs> the pleasant mind of Sarah's subconscious. That's the, that's the dream that the, the only one I remember that I, it was like, Oh, you're in danger, mm -hmm. but it's, it was always the same thing. I always got shot. 
I've definitely never had a dream I've got shot. I've definitely have dreams that I was in danger, but I don't think of any, any of them ever involved a gun. The most universal dreams that they said were that a dream that you are inappropriately dressed mm-hmm. um, in a situation. So the dream of going to school and realizing that you forgot to put pants on, right. um, going to work, you know, and you're naked, like different things like that. Just a dream of which you show up and you are inappropriately dressed is almost a universal human condition. Mm-hmm. Um Dreams of flying are also very common, um, and people experience flying in in different ways. Some people like Superman. Uh, my, I have a lot of reoccurring flying dreams, but my flying is more of a uh, a lesser gravity than it is of a propulsion. And so, oh, so you're just kind of floating around, just a little bit of a floating. Like if I take a good jump off of a table, I can get like a, an amazing glide. Like you're on the moon. Like, yeah, like kind of like I would be on the moon. And if the, like the times whenever, like even I, in my dream, I can, I remember thinking like, oh, wow, that was a good one. Like I was able to get a good like glide out of that one. And then mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like real low to the ground. And I'm like, this sucks. Um, <laughs> I'm not flying very good today. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, but then another reoccurring one is uh, having a dream about anxiety of schoolwork. And no matter what age you are at, like you're 35 years old and you're having a dream about being back in high school um, and you're stressed about, you know, either a project or, you know, whatever. And I've experienced uh, not necessarily being stressed about the schoolwork specifically, but my reoccurring high school type dream is that I am there's some sort of circumstance that has put me back into high school. Like it's like oh, like you're 30 and going to high school, right? It's like they call me and like, hey, actually, we just realized you didn't graduate. You have to go back. That would suck so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but some other interesting things that kind of just got me thinking about the dream consciousness um, is that in our Western context and our Western philosophy of life, we are very uh, a materialistic people. Mm-hmm. And we only, uh, and, and not in the consumer like aspect, but the materials of life. Right. That life exists only within the material world. That's what we believe in our Western context. That the consciousness of which we operate, the only true consciousness is the one that perceives the material world. Um, right. And I, that is really interesting to think about in the fact that that is not the case whenever it comes to Eastern philosophies and them uh they have a more uh liberal more view uh, open view of the human consciousness and that uh it's not that the only consciousness is the one that perceives the material world but our consciousness is something that it can be uh we can learn to go deeper mm-hmm. into the consciousness and the consciousness exists within the dream state and you you live part of your life in the material world, but you also live part of your life within the dream world. Yeah. And um, you can you can become more aware of that dream world and you can begin to experience and control the dream world through lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. And lucid dreaming is whenever you become aware of the dream and you are able to experience the dream knowing that you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. And they say that I- anybody and everybody can achieve this through intentional practice mm-hmm. um, of in, like basically intentional dreaming. And just that thought of that I could be, you know, and I, not not the thought that that is reality, 
but the thought that maybe that could be reality. That yeah, I think um, oh, it's weird because well, I lean toward all of that stuff. Obviously, I think that there is room for anything and everything. Because who am I to say that there's not? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's weird that so a lot of people hear about all of these like more ethereal spiritual sides of life and are like kind of put off by it because <laughs> I think it's just pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think dreaming is really important and regardless of if it is just your subconscious filtering through things through the day, like it's still telling you something. It's telling you what you thought was important, mm-hmm. what you didn't, you know, whatever. Right. Honestly, for me, like if we're all honest with ourselves, I think reality is sort of terrible and disappointing. Mm-hmm. And so like, why wouldn't you be open to the idea that like there's a cooler consciousness out there to inhabit? Right. <laughs> Not that you should let yourself. I mean, I, I do think there's something to be said about getting lost in, you know, daydreams and fantasies. That's not ideal. Right. But I think getting lost in them is ideal. It's the, that you cannot escape that reality. No, that's what I'm saying. Like whenever you start, uh, going to that instead of like creating a life, you know what I mean? But like, if you can use other consciousness or whatever as a vehicle to create a a cool life Mm -hmm. uh, or a happy, peaceful, you know, whatever life, like, why wouldn't you? Right. Why wouldn't you try it? I don't know. It just seems weird that you'd be skeptical, I guess, because it sounds kind of cool to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The, one of the other things that I learned um, in the documentary is that in REM sleep, um, your brain is as active as it is whenever it is waking or whenever it is awake. Your uh, The brain of which I am operating with right now mm-hmm. um, is as active as my brain whenever I enter into REM sleep. And that is why um, we have this certain part of our brain, certain chemical that is released during REM sleep that paralyzes our body. Right, Um, so you don't move. It's REM sleep because it's called uh, rapid eye movement. Because the only thing that's not paralyzed is your eyes. Your eyes are like going, because whenever you see something in your dream and you're looking at it, your eyes are actually moving around to see the things in the dream. Right. And your eyes are moving while you're asleep. And two fascinating things about this. One, um, there are people who the chemical that paralyzes them isn't working. Yeah. And that's whenever people sleepwalk. And well, that's whenever but people- But it's worse than sleepwalk because- you, you, you act out your dreams. Yeah. And if you're acting out your dream, then basically if you in your dream jump out of a window, you may jump out of a window. Like the comedian Mike Burbib- Birbiglia, that's his, mm-hmm. he has that. And that's exactly what happened to him. He was on a comedy tour and he walked out of a second floor window of a hotel mm-hmm. and had to cancel the rest of his tour. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. <laughs> that was basically another tangent to what I was trying to say earlier that I, that I learned um, <laughs> is, is that whenever you are dreaming, uh, this is fascinating to me. You are simultaneously creating and perceiving the world yeah. Um, of which you are experiencing. You are, you are creating everything you are seeing. Like if you think about dreaming, you are seeing, like how do you explain that mm-hmm. you are seeing everything that is happening, but your eyes are closed. Mm-hmm. Your brain is completely creating 
an entire visual world that you are seeing and interacting with. Mm -hmm. um, and wh while it is creating it, you are your mind, your consciousness is perceiving right. what your brain is creating. It's like working in real time. Which is one, just wild. Mm -hmm. um, and they talked about if you hear music in your dream, you are simultaneously writing, composing, and performing the music while you're listening to it. Mm -hmm. And whenever you talk to somebody in your dream, you are talking to yourself acting. Mm -hmm. You like the, the person you are talking to is you, your consciousness. Right. Um, and it's your like basically performance of that person in your mind. Right. Like, so your consciousness is not only perceiving that there are other people there, but part of your consciousness is acting as those people and you are talking to yourself right within the dream like but it's kind of like what uh i mean writers do <laughs> people who make up stories mm -hmm. of any kind that's it which a lot come a lot of ideas come from dreams a lot right. of story ideas come from dreams yeah they they said in the documentary that um the one of the best things you can do for like creativity and and uh cognitive like thinking like as far as like like a test if you were to study and look at it and ponder upon what you need to do um before sleep and you fall asleep and you have a good REM sleep mm -hmm. and then come out you will do better um on that task after you have slept on it Oh, like if you think about it before mm -hmm. and then sleep. Well, I guess that makes sense because a lot of people say like in order to cultivate um, gratitude and like happiness that you you do it right before you go to sleep. Hmm. You sit down and you write like the things, you know, the three things that I'm grateful for uh, thing. I mm -hmm. don't know. There's like journals and stuff for it. They say to do that right before you go to bed because it cultivates that feeling and then you fall asleep. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, th this whole what did I what did I learned this week, the whole thing about dreaming, uh, it's not necessarily uh, the fascinating and importance of sleep and what it does for us in our waking life, right? And more fascinated for it, it more fascinated me in the fact that our sleeping life, our dreaming life, can be just as rich and vibrant as our waking life, mm -hmm. and if we choose to uh like practice that if we choose to figure out how to become a lucid dreamer and f you know do that type of thing we can fall asleep into a second reality we can right. fall asleep into another world that we can experience and enjoy and try things that we could never try um in our waking life um and, and discover things because you lose those walls of um reality right you know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's that side of it that is super fascinating to me. Then the second thing of just the reality of what it, what, what type of brain power mm -hmm. it takes to even have a dream. Mm -hmm. Like that's baffling. Brains are pretty cool. I never, like, I never thought about, like we, we hear about like, there's the power of the brain and how, mm -hmm. you know, the potential, uh, the, the potential use of our brain that we don't use mm -hmm. like in, in theories of among you know that of how much 
power are we really you know using and but what's uh, kind of crazy is that we're not willing our brain to do any of that mm -hmm. like which i think is probably even more fascinating because in waking reality right our brains don't i mean we daydream for sure but like 14 seconds at a time you know whatever it's not it's not like a dream dream. And then whenever we get out of the way of our brain, mm -hmm. <laughs> our brain's like, yes, mm -hmm. now I get to play. And then it creates all of this crazy stuff. Right. Which uh, that, again, just like really makes me think about consciousness mm -hmm. and how I am conscious right now. I know who I am, what I am and where I am and, and you know, mm -hmm. all that type of thing. And I am perceiving my reality. But I also feel that i am in control of me like that right. that i am the the master of myself mm -hmm. and to some extent yes that is true like i you know have self-control and and you know right. all that type of stuff but at the same time um our my brain autumn it my brain creates stories and creates worlds within itself without me asking it to and I can't stop it even if I wanted to. Right. So thinking about it that way, I am just a spectator of my own brain. Mm -hmm. I am spectating of uh, uh, I, part of me. The conscious part of me is is not the whole. Right. It is the part that experiences the other things. Right. And like I can, in a lucid dream situation, like you are just there to witness the power of the brain, mm -hmm. um, which is just kind of wild to think about that there may like, I don't even have language to talk about it of that. You may have a brain and a mind and a consciousness and the brain has a mind of its own mm -hmm. and your consciousness has its own mind that perceive and talk to each other and experience the consciousness of the other. Mm -hmm. It's pretty wild. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wake up out of the dream state and, <laughs> um, have a different conversation. Um, so I read this article from one of my uh, favorite modern philosophers, uh, Oliver Berkman, which we've talked before, talked about before in the podcast, but this is in the New Philosopher magazine, the spring 2019 uh, issue. And it really started to make me think about good versus evil. And then Sarah and I were actually talking about yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. I, don't, what were, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. But I don't remember either, but you cut me off. <laughs> yeah, We were talking about something and I said, well, I don't really believe that you know, that, that, that was malicious intent or there was malicious intent in that, or that people even most of the time have malicious intent. Um, and you very much disagreed. Right. But then you cut me off because you were like, I don't want to talk about it. Cause we're going to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause I didn't want to, um, have the conversation and then have to act like this is the first time we're having the conversation. <laughs> uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, so let me just ask you this question. Have you ever voluntarily taken an action that you knew at the time to be the wrong action to take? I mean, I would guess yes, but I don't, I can't think of something off the top of my head. Like where you made a decision and in that decision you thought, um, I'm going to do this because I know it's going to make those people's lives worse. Oh, no. Not necessarily. It would be more the thought from what I assume. Like I said, I can't really think of an example, but I would assume the thought would be like, this is going to help me and I'm really sorry if it hurts you. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> more so along those lines. Yeah, but uh, like like cheating in school or something mm-hmm. like you know something. Yeah, I can definitely uh, think of examples of of things that I knew weren't right, but I knew were better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I think of those examples, typically those are times uh, in my immaturity. Right. Um, if I think about in my adult life, I generally haven't made like decisions or choices or like done things where my choice in doing it was that I'm going to do this because I want to hurt you. Right. Yeah. No. So he asked that question of, have you ever voluntarily taken an action you knew at the time to be the wrong action to take? I've done plenty of things I knew were unethical. Taking a long haul flight despite global warming, um, bought a cheaper shirt, possibly made in a sweatshop, um, snaffled more than my share from the buffet. Um, But only because I was sure in that moment that my own need for gratification made it the right thing to do. A belief, however erroneous, originating in the same universal longing to feel safe and happy. Yeah, I can agree with that 100%. Um, and I've so, definitely taken more than half the fries sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so in the basically, I think that is it is important for us to learn um, that what we do in our daily lives, um, we live our life making decisions. And our decisions are made for based on our universal longing to feel safe and to feel happy. Mm-hmm. That is the way most all other op- people operate. They are making decisions so they can fulfill their universal longing to feel safe and happy. And the decisions that they make, however erroneous, are not malicious intent. The things that they are doing are typically not because they want to spite you or they want, um, you know, let's say something big. Like they, it's not because they want people to be detained at the border. It is because they are pursuing their own um, uh, happiness and, and, and safe. They want to feel safety and they want to feel happiness. And they have been, like, I, like it says, however erroneous, they have a perception that the way that they are going to achieve this this happiness and this safety is by making these decisions. Okay. Um, and so the these basically I'm I'm saying we need to have way more grace and understanding for most people. But <clears throat> the question or my question would be even if they're operating out of this idea of safety or whatever does that make their actions not evil? No. Having good intentions and doing evil things doesn't uh, make those things not evil. But what it does is it doesn't make you evil. It doesn't make mm-hmm. that other person evil. And what we have done in our modern day world is we have labeled anybody who has done an evil thing as an evil person. I definitely believe that people are more nuanced than we give them credit for. I, you know, but I also think that you can label a person evil sometimes. <laughs> I do. And that is not to say that there is not evil people. I think that a case, I, the case in point, the president of the United States, President mm-hmm. Trump, he obviously mm-hmm. has malicious intent. 
he makes decisions based on malicious intent and based on his own unstable mental health. Right. And the things that he does is not because he is personally trying to find a universal longing of safety and happiness. Right. The things that he is doing is 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 based on ego on 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 right. just wrong thinking. But the people that have fallen prey to his propaganda and his like policy, you know, right. uh, agenda are not evil people. Right. The people that have have that have chosen to say like get behind that are they may be wrong they may be right they may be a combination of both within you know the context of which they're making these decisions Mm -hmm. but they're making these decisions out of their own belief that they're they're trying to find safety and happiness Mm -hmm. because that's what we're all trying to find and what they have been told by this egomaniac is that if you believe in me I will give you safety and happiness. Right. And so these people that think that it's an okay idea um, to do the things we're doing on the border, to pass the, you know, uh, oppressive laws and things like that. um, It is not that they are looking at these things and they are saying, I hate those people. They should die. Mm -hmm. They're saying, I am trying to be happy and safe and keep my family happy and safe. And so I'm doing I'm doing what I think is right. And so I think it's unfair for us to live our lives thinking that if a person makes a decision that ultimately is an evil, has an evil outcome, mm-hmm. that it makes that person evil. Right. I think that it's a scale, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just become an evil person because of one thing or whatever. But I don't know. I still... Um, hesitate (laughs) i guess like i don't think that people who voted for trump are evil people necessarily i i think that there can i mean i think there are evil people that voted for him but i think there are wonderful people that voted for him as well that's that's what i'm saying i think that there are evil people who voted for him but generally speaking i think that most people who voted for him are normal people and but, I wouldn't call them evil in daily right. life. And I think the same is true. Like there are evil people that voted for Hillary and there are evil people that voted right. for Obama and there are evil people that voted for Bush. Um, but there, that's just because there are a small fraction of evil people in the world. And I think that the problem with our humanity, the problem with our culture is that we have exaggerated the amount of truly evil people in this world. For sure. Um, you know, and I, it, I was thinking about presidents last night and just thinking about how every president up until now has made decisions mm-hmm. that we could classify as things that have made human life worse mm-hmm. and you could say is evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it you could say um, Obama did things that were evil. Mm-hmm. Um, Bush did things that were evil. Um, go back, back and back. And each president has done things that it, with um, either a different perspective or with hindsight or with whatever you want to say, it was like that decision led to people suffering. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to classify the definition of evil as doing something that may cause us suffering, then that would be it. But the difference is I don't believe that any past president in my memory uh, or I guess in my studies mm-hmm. did those things, made those decisions with malicious intent with evil in their heart of i'm going to make this decision because i know that people are going to suffer at my hand Mm -hmm. um 
And so I do not think it is fair to say that, um, you know, those people are terrible people because they made those decisions that again, they were trying to lead themselves and this nation into a place of happiness, um, and safety. And that is the difference between Trump and which makes this conversation more difficult and, um, makes our culture more difficult to, uh, not find, not label others as evil. Right. Because we are in a time where it is very clear that the leader of the United States is somebody who makes decisions um, with malicious intent. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make the people who support him or the people who voted for him or the people who continue to support him evil people. Um, They are in this, they're in the same vein as everybody else of looking for their universal longing of safety and happiness. And they believe that following this person Mm -hmm. and his policies is going to fix it or going to help them going to overall bring safety and happiness. Right. You know, you mentioned a second ago of like, does that excuse it? And the obvious answer is no. Mm -hmm. Like the level of which we care uh, if somebody went out with the intent to murder somebody and them going out and, and accidentally murdering somebody, there's still consequences to both. Right. We treat them with different levels because if you pre-plan it and go out, find the person, murder them, that was a lot of malicious intent in there. Mm-hmm. There was conscious will in that that you made a lot of bad decisions and you, your ultimate goal was to kill that person. Mm-hmm. If you were to get in your car drunk and you were to drive and you accidentally hit somebody and you killed them, you had no malicious intent. You were actually trying to find your own happiness through mm-hmm. getting drunk, made an erroneous decision that killed somebody. Mm-hmm. You still have to live with the consequences of that, but... It doesn't make you evil. Right. It makes you a bad decision maker. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, mm-hmm. this next part in the article is talking about once we realize that people are making decisions um, not out of evil, mm-hmm. but out of um, finding themselves, uh, the point is that once you understand the reasonable emotional roots beneath the other side's unreasonable politics, it gives you options. Okay. So it means that now we have, we actually reintroduce nuance. We actually right. reintroduce options because before, whenever we were looking at things as dualism, as, as a black and white, right, wrong, we were looking at the other side of any topic as you are evil. Mm-hmm. You believe that, uh, that abortion should be regulated That means that you are against women's rights. That means you are an evil person against women. Right. And I don't think that's a fair way to live or a fair way to treat others because as it doesn't matter if I believe in women's choice or I believe in the uh, pro-life debate, we are both coming to this argument with justice in mind. Right. It's just that the decisions we are making – are are essentially causing harm to one side or the other, but our decision isn't to harm the other. Right. It is to either protect the rights of of alive women who, you know, all of that, or to protect the rights of an unborn baby. And it is unfair for either side to say, you're a murderer or you hate women, because that's not true. 
Right. And whenever you understand that, it gives you the options. It gives you new options to actually say, you are not evil. Let's sit across from the table and let's have a conversation. Let's talk about why you believe the things you believe so that we can actually find a, a real solution. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's what I believe. I don't believe in harsh lines. I believe in nuance mm-hmm. and shades of gray, right? et cetera. But I just, I don't think, maybe I just don't like the um, statement that nobody is evil because <laughs> I don't, I don't think I believe that. I don't think you can, I don't think anybody is making that statement. I don't think I'm making the statement that nobody is evil. I'm saying that most people are not evil. Right. The vast majority of people are not evil. I, yes, I agree. But we are treating the world as if half of the population is evil and half of the population is good. Right. But that, there is no way that that can be true because you have 50% of people saying that the other half is evil. Mm -hmm. And then you have the evil people in their perspective saying that the other side is evil. Right. And the only way that could be true is if every person was evil. Um, and and every person was out to get the other person. Um, and that is not true at all. The, the evil inside of us is our own, uh, short sightedness in, in our desire to find happiness, because whenever we give ourselves over to only trying to find our own happiness, Mm -hmm. we forget that our decisions affect other people. Right. But that doesn't mean that I had malicious intent, which constitutes that me making an evil action. Mm -hmm. Um, in the same way that he talked about, you know, if, if he bought a cheaper shirt, it's probably made in a sweatshop. Right. But, and we know that in the moment. Like, I think I go to I the mean, store. I mean, I've had plenty of times where I felt guilty for purchasing at a certain store that I was purchasing at, but had to do it anyway because I didn't have money to go anywhere right. else or whatever. And you, and if I was to ask you, name, name three reasons that justify you buying that cheaper sweatshirt. The only one, the only reason I shop, I ever now shop in, you know, fast fashion places is budget purposes. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. But it's because you feel that you can't afford something, you know, more expensive. Right. And, but you also feel that you need the sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. And so for your own happiness, you have to buy a sweatshirt that maybe compromises the happiness of somebody else. Right. In order for you to have yours. Right. Um, when you do that, we justify ourselves. Oh, for sure. We, We're very good at we, justifying We have ourselves. all of these justifications of, well, I'm doing this because I'm trying to be happy and safe, etc. Um, clothed in general. Like, mm-hmm. I can't I can't afford it. I have to be clothed. What, what am I supposed to do about that? Um, and so, you know, we make all the, we either ignore them or we make excuses. Right. The, but that doesn't make you an evil person. It doesn't make, it doesn't make you buying it possibly not evil right Um, especially if you're aware of the potentials but even if you're not let's say you're completely ignorant Uh and you made a decision out of complete ignorance and that decision um contributed to the suffering of another human Mm -hmm. it doesn't make you evil but it still doesn't not make the action not evil right but if you understand that, you can approach somebody, and if you know that they didn't do it out of evilness, you can say, hey, did you realize that that shirt you know, causes this, this, and this? And they'd be like, oh, I, I had no idea. Right. That allows you to approach them with love and information, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and have right. a conversation about it. 
And then the other thing is like, even if they did know that, um, you have to understand that they have legitimate reasons in the same way that I have legitimate reasons for the decisions that I make. Right. I'm sure I make decisions every single day that affect others negatively that I don't realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about it on an uh, individual scale, yes, that makes total sense. But if you're talking about it on a bigger scale, like, you know, for a long time, we didn't realize um, all the things we were doing were harming the environment, right? Well, there's nothing to be done about that. You know, we did what we did. But once you learn and don't decide to decide not to course correct, then are you being evil? I mean, I think there is very clear that within the um, global warming debate that there are evil decisions being made based on the uh, blindness that comes from pursuing money as your happiness. Right. Whenever you worship money and that is your God, you end up making decisions that are evil. And I think that you potentially know that they're evil, but greed is such a powerful hold, can have such right. a powerful hold over our lives that I don't have the power in my life to, like I'm not in a position of power to uh, create global warming. Like I, I don't, I'm right. not the head of, of something that is pushing that out carbon. Resources and, yeah. But if I let greed mm -hmm. take hold of my heart, I make very poor decisions that I know are to the detriment of others because I'm too greedy to to stop. I'm right. too, you know, I'm I'm making money. We're making money. Like we're, you know, mm -hmm. our boat is rising. Why do we care if others are sinking? There are things like that that are definitely. I I I guess I can't. I'm not speaking objectively. I'm speaking from my own opinion. And in my own opinion, yes, I believe that those actions are evil. It doesn't necessarily though make that person an evil person. Right, but it can. Right? It can mean that they're evil or that the, that evilness has taken a hold of them because greed is evil. So right. greed has taken a hold of them and it is causing them to do evil things, but it doesn't mean that they're evil at their core. Mm. If they if they were um, to pursue a life of health and and find you know uh, talk therapy or you know any other type of thing right. like find spiritual enlightenment whatever it takes for them to shed themselves of the the weight of greed mm -hmm. they would just make different decisions yeah um, most of them right I'm not saying all of them right and that could also be a hundred percent true for President Trump like I'm not saying that he is evil till to his core I'm saying that he has a, a lot of evil has has a hold of him, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that he's evil to his core, where if you like took all of that away and you have put him into a healthy spot, he couldn't be a great person. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, it's very obvious right now that there is a lot of evil that has a hold of his heart. Yeah. The point of this conversation, though, is once we know those things, we have options. And the problem with not learning this is that the practical problem with viewing one's opponents as simply irrational or evil is that the only way to defeat such foes is to destroy them. Right. And that is very obvious. Right. That there, that's the reason that we are in such a divisive culture because 
like I said, everybody is viewing the other half of the population as evil, as somebody to be destroyed. Right. That the only way that we can win right. is to destroy. Right. And that obviously is it's very, very unhealthy. Right. And it's not true either. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do any favors for anybody. Right. <laughs> for sure. It can be hard to remember. I mean, it's hard for me to remember sometimes that like, you know, what someone is saying about my demographic isn't an evil person Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whatever, but, or might not be an evil person. But I mean, the only way for us to not live in this sort of environment forever now Mm -hmm. (laughs) is to relearn nuance. Right. I mean, that's the only option. And I think, I mean, there we can't keep living in this environment. All of us are suffocating. Mm-hmm. We're all dying very slow deaths. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. exhausting and we all feel it. So the only way is to relearn nuance. It just allows no space yeah. for any anybody to make a mistake, for anybody to have a conversation, for anybody to learn anything. Um, it, you, it doesn't also it doesn't allow anybody to grow. Mm -hmm. And that's like the whole point of being a human being is to like learn and grow and progress. And like, like it would be terrible if I still believed what I believed five years ago. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But the way our culture is now, like if I tweeted something five years ago, not that I did, kind of, whatever. My Twitter five years ago was like, oh, eating a sandwich. Mm-hmm. But if I tweeted something five years ago and then, you know, I've learned since then, I don't have that right anymore. Yeah. And I don't think that it's fair to take the right to progress away from people. Yeah. There's no statute of limitations on bad ideas. Yeah. If you commit a physical crime, mm-hmm. generally speaking, there's a statute of limitations on the time that passes that we forgive you of mm-hmm. that thing, you know, in simple terms, essentially. Right. We do not have that um, in the court of, of uh, public opinion. Right. Um, that we have no statute of limitations for a bad idea. Yeah. That if we find out that you had a bad idea about another person or a bad idea about humanity um, in the past... We say, you are now punished for that because you said that, you know, this thing that you said was homophobic, it was racist, it was X, you know, Y, Z, whatever it was. Um, And we don't stop to ask, um, hey, we saw that you tweeted this five years ago. Is that how you still feel? Right. It's just, we saw that you tweeted this five years ago. You're canceled. Right. You you obviously didn't grow up. Your whole life is ruined now. Yeah. (laughs) I don't believe in that. I don't, I don't believe that we have the right to take that from someone. Right. And also, we have to realize that most people do not say the ignorant things that they say out of a evil heart or right. out of a place of malicious intent. Right. They say what they say out of ignorance mm-hmm. um, or out of insecurity mm-hmm. um, or a, a myriad of other things. But I would say that I believe that most of the time, the things that people say, even if they're hateful, do not come from a truly evil and hateful place. Mm-hmm. They come from a place of scared insecurity um, or just ignorance. It's hard to um, 
again, swallow that sometimes. It's hard to, you know, be the bigger person and like allow them space. And I guess just offer kindness in hopes that they learn something, you know, that's really hard to do. It sucks, but it, it really is the way forward. I mean, like how many times have you argued immediately snapped back at a person who snapped at you and got anywhere in that conversation? Literally zero times because everybody moves on the defense immediately. And when you're on the defense, all you're doing is striking. Like you're, you're just building up your wall and like making sure nobody else can, you know, knock Mm -hmm. it down. That's all you're doing. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not conducive for change and conversation. No. And we all do it and we're all learning, like we're all on different, uh, scale of where we are within that. And I mean, I, I literally fell prey to that last week. Um, and Sarah had to remind me, um, because something offended me and I immediately went into it with everything that I think about it. And, you know, Sarah like stopped me, um, or uh, later said like, Hey, like what you did was you, you know, immediately went at it with a defense and you never stopped to ask what their perspective was, or you never sought to understand. And I think that that was the, that language is really what hit me Mm -hmm. at my core was you're like, you're right. I never once thought to try to understand. Mm -hmm. I never once thought, let me understand where he's coming from. Right. Before I tell him why I think everything is wrong about that. Right. Like it's not about you changing your beliefs and it's not about um you letting a person stay ignorant either Mm -hmm. um i don't really know how to navigate that yet about letting a person stay ignorant (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i do know that the first response can't be harsh or they won't listen right that's all i know yeah um so here's a the the ending quote um from this article is To acknowledge the universal psychological yearnings behind even the worst political behavior isn't a soft-headed stance. In fact, it's a hard-headed refusal to take the easy option of dismissing one's opponents as inexplicably, irrationally, irredeemably wicked. It would be bad enough to have to share a democracy with terrible people with whom we have nothing in common, but... The truth is even tougher. Deep down, they're a lot like us. Yeah, it's true. That's that's who I want to be. That's who I want to become. That's the person that I why I want to live a life of which I see others as a lot like me, mm-hmm. instead of seeing others as uh, irrational, irredeemably wicked. Right. Because they're not. Right. Because it really does come down to that we forget that we judge ourselves by our intentions Mm -hmm. and judge others by their actions. For sure. And if we were to judge ourselves by our actions, we would judge ourselves as harshly as we say everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we do things every day that on a uh, global scale could be classified as evil by somebody else who has a different perspective. Right. But we judge ourselves by our intentions, and my intention is not to be evil. So I'm not an evil person. Is what I think. But there are other people who look at me because of my, there are people who may be listening to me right now because of my views of 
uh, the president being an evil person think mm-hmm. that I'm an evil person for having that thought. Right. But my my intentions are 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 not to harm are not to right. degrade or not to do anything like my intentions to my my I feel mm-hmm. my intentions are pure um, and so I don't think of myself as an evil person but there are other people who might think that I am right. um, and because of that I want to live a life of treating others as I want to treat myself mm-hmm. and if I'm going to judge myself by my intentions then I need to also seek understanding and judge others by their intentions yeah and generally speaking, their intentions are to find wholeness and they just happen to be going about it the wrong way. And I think that in ending a great quote um, from James Hollis, he says, we humans generally don't do crazy things. We do logical things based on the emotional premises we are serving at the time, many of which may be unconscious. I do think there's a lot of stuff we do that we don't really have control over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, your whatever, the ways that you've been treated in the past very much dictate how you react to things in adulthood. And sometimes it's very unconscious. That's true. Yeah. And also uh, the philosophy of Buddhism also believes that it, the evil itself is the evil doesn't exist and is also unconscious. Um, the article says Buddhism makes an even more radical claim that what, that what we call evil isn't ultimately a matter of intentional wrongdoing, but of error. The actions of people seeking happiness like you and me, but going about it in disastrously mistaken and destructive ways. Yeah. I do think that a lot of times, um, when someone wrongs you, they're not really meaning to wrong you. They're just like incredibly self-sabotaging. Mm-hmm. Like there's like something much deeper I th- most of the time than I guess like you're saying malicious intent. I do think that there's often things under the surface of our personalities that have happened to us in the past, things that, you know, whatever we're trying to protect ourselves from. Mm-hmm. And again, the first response is to, you know, you strike so that you're not left, you know, bleeding right. um, unconsciously. I, I think that that's very much something that happens that we can't really control mm-hmm. or that takes years <laughs> to first learn about and then to start to learn how to control it. Right. For sure. A prime example is in our marriage. I have done things that were... I mean, disastrously mistaken um, and destructive to you and our marriage that I had no malicious intent behind. I was I was genuinely mm-hmm. like seeking uh, happiness mm-hmm. and in the way that I thought the happiness was supposed to come about. Mm-hmm. And it took years. I mean, I'm still learning mm-hmm. like today that things that I have I have done in the pursuit of happiness in what I think would be right ultimately were destructive and ultimately were wrong and 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 basically uh, didn't set you up to be the best human you can be didn't set me up to be the best husband I can be which didn't allow us to be the best couple we could be mm-hmm. um, 
But I think that in that sentence, it, it opens up like a whole new thing of just like evil is not of intentional wrongdoing, but of error. The actions of people seeking happiness like you and me, but going about it in, dis- in disastrously mistaken and destructive ways. That's like all of life mm-hmm. that we are all seeking happiness and sometimes we do it in disastrously destructive ways right and sometimes it's destructive to ourselves. sometimes it's destructive to others sometimes it's destructive to the world but generally speaking we're like trying to find what is right we're trying to find happiness and we do things that um we're blinded to mm-hmm. and we don't realize and it takes intentional focused uh like introspection mm-hmm. in order to find what those things are because there is the truth that hurt people hurt people mm-hmm. and yes it, the person say like the hurt person coming up up to you and saying terrible things were they have malicious intent in that did they want to hurt you yes they wanted to hurt you right but why did they want to hurt you because they themselves are hurt mm-hmm. so if you were to be a superhuman and not be offended by what they were saying, Mm -hmm. um, which is probably impossible, um, but maybe come back later Mm -hmm. to it and say like, hey, these things that you said were hurtful, but I, I want to understand what, where you're coming from. I want to understand what you mean. And like, anyways, we don't have to go way into it, but essentially long story short, if you were to talk to them and understand them and find the core of them, it is because they, they themselves have been deeply hurt and the only way that they have been able to find happiness is to find company in misery. Mm-hmm. And they're just going about finding happiness in an incredibly destructive way. Yeah. It's hard to be a human. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the um, subline of this podcast. It's hard to be a human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's like th- what we have, at least especially in this new season of Deeply Curious, like that is – that's what we've been trying to do is like realize it's hard to be a human. How do we better be better humans? Mm-hmm. Like we we're just trying to find like there is a uh, there there is millennia of philosophies and theologies to life that um, w- upon study and reflection and things we can find the answers uh, that we would be floundering around to find. Yeah, um, and by growing in our personal emotional and spiritual lives we can move towards becoming the people we want to become and that's the point of having these conversations yep so thank you guys for listening to deeply curious if you enjoy the show we would love it if you would give us a review on itunes or share a favorite episode with a friend you can also partner with us by joining our patreon at jensenav.club Our intro music is provided by Musicbed. Learn more about Musicbed's unlimited music subscription plan at music.codyjensen.com. Sarah and I also publish lifestyle and travel films every week on YouTube at youtube.com slash Cody Jensen. Thank you guys for listening to Deeply Curious, and we will see you next week. Bye.